Hi, everyone. I'm Rebecca Gagan, and this is Waving Not Drowning, a UVic Bounce podcast. Today's episode is being recorded on the unceded and unsurrendered territories of the Wasanich and Lekwungen peoples. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to season two of Waving Not Drowning. I'm your host, Rebecca Gagan. And in this season, I talk with students who have recently graduated or moved on from UVic about their experiences as students. I talk with a diverse range of students from all across campus and all different disciplines about the kinds of challenges and obstacles that they encountered as students and how they coped with them. Farhad is a financial administrative assistant with over 10 years of experience in teaching English language in his native country, Iran. In 2019, Farhad pursued his dream of studying English literature in Canada, starting his second master's program in the Department of English at the University of Victoria. He had given a good start to his new life in Canada when COVID-19 lockdown started. Away from his family and friends, Farhad was isolated to his basement room where he experienced challenging moments of fear, depression, and anxiety. It was not until the beginning of 2021 that Farhad started to pull himself out of that difficult situation with the help of daily writing and self-help reading, the therapeutic effect of which led him to find his way into the federal government of Canada as a co-op student in September 2021. Currently, he works for a nonprofit organization whose top vision is to ensure that urban Indigenous children and youth grow up connected to family, community, and culture. Farhad is an ardent supporter of acknowledging one's own errors in work and life, and he openly talks about his mistaken paths and bad decisions. He also had a very short experience of living in Vancouver, which eventually proved to be a big learning curve. He loves the beauty of Vancouver Island and feels great about being in Victoria. In his free time, Farhad loves to play or watch soccer, cook, and hang out with friends old and new. In our conversation, Farhad talks about his experience as an international student, and he shares with us what he would like others to know and understand about that experience. One of the things that Farhad explains is that international students can experience a kind of trauma that is seldom talked about and uh, that really needs to be understood. And it's a trauma that occurs when an international student who is so far from home experiences uh, loss, grief, or a kind of crisis at home, and they aren't able to be with their loved one, um, connect with their family uh, face-to-face. Farhad shares his own experience of losing his grandmother, but he also talks about the kind of trauma of saying goodbye and moving 
to a new country and picking up your life and really starting again, but grieving those whom you have left behind. Farhad and I recorded our conversation before the tragic death of Masa Amini and the widespread national protests facing down the brutality of a regime that resists calls for change. We are holding Farhad, his family, his friends and colleagues in Iran in our thoughts, and we are here to support them. Our hearts go out to all those who have tragically lost loved ones in Iran. Today, more than ever, Farhad's story is one that offers great comfort, support, and wisdom to international students who might be experiencing the very kind of trauma about which Farhad speaks in today's episode. This is a powerful episode, not just about the experience of being an international student, but it so profoundly speaks to the experience of being human. I'm Rebecca Gagan, here today with Farhad Khan, and this is Waving, Not Drowning. Well, good morning, Farhad. I'm so happy that uh, you're able to join me today for this conversation. Good morning, Rebecca. Thank you. And uh, thanks for having me here. It's a pleasure. You know that I'm a huge fan of Yuvik Brown's podcast, and um, I'm very glad to be here. Thank you. Well, it's been a couple of years, has it, since when did uh, you teach with me in English 147? Yeah, I think it was. Um, was that 2019? Yeah, it was uh, late 2019 and early 2020, just before the huge lockdown. Right. And it was, uh, yeah, I, I taught English 147 uh, in two terms, and the second term was with you. Yeah, you were the. It was in the before times. It was in the, <laughs> in the before times, yeah. It's true. I just feel like I have to always think is that this is how we, we understand our lives now, right? And the before and after, right? And so, and I also feel, I don't know about you, but I often feel like, you know, there's a sense of having lost a few, a few years, like of time, like it just sort of went into a, a sort of abyss or something. Uh, it, it's, it's a weird understanding of time now. I'd like to quote a friend of mine who always says, COVID changed everything forever. <laughs> I, but that is very true, I think. And even now, when I try to think about, you know, just, well, when did this happen? And oddly, it feels sometimes like it was just yesterday. And it's like, no, that was actually like two years ago. But you, you know, you sort of, at least for me, my sense of time is is now completely re- configured in, in a way. And I recently uh, was at a, a conference and saw people that I hadn't seen for, well, for, for two years and was just really, I mean, it was very moving because, you know, there were so many stories of how people's lives had changed in two years. And, you know, some people had had 
had children and they're like, you know, now my baby is like 19 months old. <laughs> and like, this is what happened for me. I had a, I had a baby, but also of course, so many stories of um, just change and, and loss. And I think we're only just beginning to start to hear the stories that we've not um, been able to really share, right? And that we don't know what's been going on for people in the past two years. And of course, Farhad, a lot has happened for you in the past two years. You've completed um, your master's degree uh, in English here at UVic, and you graduated in May of 2022. So Farhad, tell me what life has been like uh, post-grad before we get into talking about your experience as a, a graduate student. Uh, like anything else, it's been a, like a mixture of uh, a good and uh, not very good things happening. Um, and I think especially just during um, this uh, strange uh, COVID time, uh, things changed in a way that we could never kind of foresee it was it was huge like a huge change and it's still with us even after we're like out of it sort of out of it not completely um it's still with us um well I've been like after my graduation uh, I've been trying to find uh my dream job like anyone else and um uh, it's I'm very glad to tell you that um, I'll be starting a new position at the end of September in an administrative role, which was not easy, but I finally got it and I finally did it. I will definitely tell you my story as we move along, but after after like a huge time of turmoil and personal and even public um, unrest, I can say, <laughs> I'm glad that um, I'm finally getting a job that I really like. Well, congratulations. I know that is not easy. And that, as you said, you you moved initially to Vancouver. Is that right? Yeah. So after, like I was a co-op student with a section of the government, and then I moved to Vancouver to kind of be close to the office of that section because we 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 don't have the off actual office of that specific directorate in Victoria, uh, but we have uh, I think two offices. Yeah, in uh, Vancouver, one is in Vancouver, the other one is in Burnaby, I guess. Mm -hmm. I was like I I went there because I was given a verbal <laughs> job offer, so I went there kind of thing to be close to my future office but it never it never happened it didn't it didn't turn into the so you right that so the verbal offer didn't turn into a full job offer a, a real a real official job offer right and uh yeah it was um it was very difficult times i mean i was there without like with zero income and uh 3500 Wow. Dollars to spend a month because I had rented an apartment and we all know how huge apartments. Yeah. How rents. expensive, yeah. 
how expensive they are in Vancouver and even in Victoria, but in Vancouver, it's, it's, you know, it's insane. So, um, yeah, I, uh, it was, it was very difficult. But you kept applying and then you were able to get uh, the position that you're just about to start. Is that right? Well, yes. And, <laughs> but it was, but it was, I mean, like there were twists to, to this tale. I was, I was in Vancouver and I will definitely talk about the role of writing as a, as a healing and therapeutic process and how it helped me out of my um, very difficult situation. So I was there, I had to say goodbye to the friends, to the people who I was with for over three years. We were almost like a family, even though it was COVID, it was still, um, uh, friends that I had in Victoria I had to say goodbye because quote unquote I was like I was under the impression that I'm getting the job that will make my future I went there but it was no job I mean the reason I'm still talking to you and I don't know the reason because I never heard back despite following up I never heard back from that section or that manager and it was it's still very strange but it was so difficult and it was so intense during the, my time in Vancouver I, I always call it Vancouver journey because it looked like a journey it just it just you know I, I just grew up it was so difficult that it made me another person so I I, I spent day and night I spent the whole days looking for jobs whatever job like a general job, whatever, which I finally found. I mean, I found like a general job, sales associate position kind of thing, but it was not what I really wanted to do. It was not what I really, like my skill sets were totally different. So I spent days looking for a job, personally going to whoever I thought could, could give me a job, just dropping down resume, asking them for interviews. And I spent the whole night, maybe like three, four hours. I slept three or four, four hours at night and the rest of the night, I really couldn't exist, like sleep with anxiety because I was thinking about what's coming up next. And then it was time sensitive because I had to pay my bills. I had to, so it was not something that I could do on my own pace, it was something that I had to do as soon as possible, find a job, just pay your bills. And it was, it was huge, it was very uh, tense. Um, so yeah, Vancouver journey was. Vancouver journey. Well, it sounds like it was a very like harsh awakening in terms of, you know, graduating, you're, you're feeling as if you're heading towards something concrete, right? A job you move your whole life, you leave your friends, you realize once you get there that um, the job isn't a real there. job, it isn't, there is no job. And as you say, you had to then, you know, very quickly kind of adjust to life as a, as a, as no longer being a student, right? Like that you're no longer a student and you've got to be trying to figure out what the next thing is. And as you said, it, it, there was some urgency to that because you had to live and pay your bills, right? And so it was a compressed journey because there wasn't a lot of time for you to be able to adjust. I believe being a student 
like your status as a student or even an international student, which I will definitely address as we move along, it provides you with a safe zone. Um, I will call it a safe zone. So you're a student, you're a student, you know what to do, who you're dealing with, Professor Gagan, okay, I'm a TA, I should do this, I should do that. That kind of gives you a clear map of who you are and what you should do. But as soon as you graduate, there is, um, even if you are, if, even if you don't have the problems that I faced, you, there there is a shift. There is a change of identity from a student to someone who's a job seeker, who's not a student anymore. So who am I? Oh, uh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe an administrative, maybe an engineer, maybe. So it's a it's a it's a new identity. You have to define it for yourself. Even even if you're doing your PhD after your PhD, okay. So what's what's my next path? Am I going to be a researcher? Am I going to be a university professor again? Do I need to teach? Do I have? Do I like to teach? So these are all the questions that you ask yourself. And for me, it was even worse because they're like I was preparing myself for something, and I kind of organized everything in the direction of that um, specific goal. But suddenly I realized that it's not there. So I had to readjust everything again in a very, very quickly. Short very, quickly. very quickly. And I think you make such an important point, um, Farhad, just about how when you're a student, whether you're a student for six months or six years, that becomes your identity. and as you say, the identity can be um, so grounding, right? Because as you know, you know what you need to be doing, you know what your job is, you you know who you are in a certain sense, right? That um, that when you move on from that, as you said, you have to then negotiate and figure out who you are when you are not a student. And I think this can happen, at, you know, at any age. And as we move through, you know, whether you move from being a high school student to being a university student to then being a graduate student, that there is that constant renegotiation. But I think the period you're talking about um, just after graduation, where you you really are in this profound, I would say, as you called it, you know, the Vancouver journey, the journey of, of really trying to figure out, well, who am I now? And, and who do I want to be, right? Like, what is it that I, what kind of work do I want to do? But also if I'm not a student there, you can feel very unmoored that uh, suddenly you're at sea and trying to get your, your footing again. So let's, let's go back for hot and talk a little bit about that identity as a student. So when you were a student, so now that we've clarified <laughs> We worked together in 2019, and that was when we first met. And uh, you were a TA for English 147, um, the course I was teaching. And you know, I remember then, Farhad, that you uh, had just moved, I think, to Victoria as an international student. And I remember being really uh, struck by you know, how well you were, at least from my perspective, managing 
what would have been just an enormous shift for you to, to come and um, begin, you know, your life as a graduate student here in Victoria. Uh, but I know that what we see on the outside isn't necessarily what's actually going on. And so I'm just really eager to hear from you um, just a bit more about your story. And maybe you can even just start from the, start from the beginning in a way, in terms of when you came to Victoria. Yeah, thank you. Uh, that's a great question because that's a huge part of what I've been doing in Canada really. So I would like to start even before I moved to Canada, when I was in Iran, I, I was doing my first master's also in English. So this is my second master's. Um, but I kind of always, like, I was always feeling that something was missing. And uh, um, I'm that kind of person who writes everything. I have journals from like five, six years ago. I always, then, then I go back and review all those thoughts and sometimes say, oh, what a nice thing I wrote. And sometimes I even laugh at myself how, how <laughs> terrible I was at thinking. Anyways, um, so I, will, I was always had like having this dream of um, learning what I was doing in Iran in another country because I wanted to know how other people like people from other cultures, from other countries, think about literature, how they write about literature, specifically English literature, how they read Shakespeare, how they write critiques on Shakespeare. How is it? Is it like us? Is it like them? I'm like this us and them in terms of how literature is read and understood was always in my mind. And I really like to know how people from other parts of the world understand and read literature. That's why I applied to like several countries, like, sorry, several universities in Canada. And I was very like thrilled and crowd nine when Uvic told me that you're actually uh, in and gave me that admission. And my first um, term in Uvic was like first, probably first few months, even before COVID, COVID I, I would say. It was what later I learned that it has a name it's called honeymoon phase where you see everything so nice. All people look super kind to you. Weather is nice. You know, everything you see is nice. And it was, I mean, like still, I have still people from my honeymoon phase who I still like very much. Professors who were great and they are still great. I still go back to them, ask them questions whenever I need uh, some sort of advice. But um about the that one four seven experience, I have one very sweet memory. Uh, my first term was with another professor. I made a lot of mistakes, and it was not because I didn't know how to teach. It was because of the cultural difference. Mm -hmm. I didn't know the education culture in Canada. That's why I was kind of on my default mode, where I thought, okay, it's okay to ask questions from like direct questions from students when you're teaching because it's okay in my country but later I learned that students here don't like it they call it putting on the spot and they mm -hmm. just wrote the please don't put us on the spot we don't like it so, <laughs> no they really don't yeah <laughs> so these were the, the the cultural differences that I learned and in our second term which was 
under your supervision, you were the, of course, uh, instructor and supervisor of us. And I thought, how would I do? My first thought was that I, I will be worse. I don't know why. I was very worried. <laughs> and then I, I t that this this sense of like I don't know maybe it was perfectionism at that time. I tried to work harder. That's why I decided to go because we were uh, teaching um, academic writing and argument and even some sort of citation um, like guidance to students. So I I read a few sources like they say I say craft of research things like that and. I try to create PowerPoint for each session. I still have them. I think I have 10, 12 PowerPoints for each session with examples. And I was making myself ready for the session, like for the students, like yeah. I needed a high satisfaction rate, but also for the session that Professor Gagan comes to my class and so, like wants to see how am I teaching. Yeah. And I, re I do remember in that specific session, I couldn't anything from your facial expression. You were so neutral. I couldn't read anything that you like my teaching style or you don't like it. And I was so nervous, but I was trying to just keep doing what I was doing. And I remember at the end, you came to me with a huge smile and said, you, you just told me, I, I still remember that. It was great, Farha, keep doing what you were doing. So Aww. that was... <laughs> I'm just amazed that I'm you. I had a neutral face because usually I don't. <laughs> I'm anything but neutral. But um, I must have just been really paying attention for hot. So. Yeah, you were. I think you were paying attention. Yeah. And at that specific moment, I was trying to read what's what's going on. So this was the like the very nice memories that I have from um, our uh, TA uh, experience together, and even other professors professors that I had courses with. They were all great. Uh, but the first big challenge came to me when um, I think uh, what I'm saying maybe like a few weeks after this uh, last session, uh, when my grandmother passed. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think I, I, I don't remember, I, I came to your office or just uh, wrote you an email that I can't teach today. I'm not feeling well. And at that specific moment, I would like to thank Deborah for just taking that class. And she she just kindly agreed that teach for, for me in that specific mm -hmm. session. I, I just couldn't. And that that specific moment, I realized that I really needed to talk to someone. Mm -hmm. I went to Professor Blank, uh, with whom we had... Uh, I think it was a course about romantic literature. I don't remember his specific name. And he talked to me in his office, I think for an hour. Um, and that was one of my um, best memories in UVic. At, at that specific moment, I was, I was crying really because I really, um, like my grandmother was kind of like my, my own mother. She was, she, she, she loved me so much and um, when I wanted to just say goodbye and immigrate to Canada, she was the only person that was not happy because she didn't want me to go. And she explicitly told me that I know I'm not going to see you again. Aww, yeah. and, that, and, that, and that happened again. 
like that 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 exactly what 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 happened she was right mm-hmm. and at that specific day i remember i think it was in early february or something just before the lockdown my my dad called me i was sitting in the uvss i still remember i was just uh, reading a few like a few documents i don't remember what it was and started crying um like very bad like Mm -hmm. i couldn't control myself i was crying so hard and then i emailed you and then uh, the the the, my talk with professor black so that was probably the um the worst thing that happened to me before covid Mm -hmm. but but then like one month into this um thing it was locked down and uh, then it was the like the rest and what was it like i mean in in the case of losing your grandmother and then pretty swiftly moving into the pandemic how did you cope farhad with being so far from home right that you were you know i know you you describe being in victoria at this time as the honeymoon phase um and then um your grandmother dies it is the pandemic you are pretty much alone in a new country how did you how did you cope it sounds like you you very quickly sought out support from your professors um but what what else did you do like how how did you cope with all of this with being so far from home well i would um i'd like to be honest um sometimes you just I mean, you just don't know what to do. Like an international student, you just sit down in your basement room and then don't know. I just, I don't know, stare at the wall. Don't know what to do. And when it's um, like before, before that, I remember, I would like to go back to this incident where my grandmother passed and I was really crying, sitting there crying. I saw a friend of mine, she came to me and asked what happened. And when when she when she realized what happened, she kind of hugged me and said, no problem, we're gonna be in this together. Just come to me when you have a problem. But with the COVID, you didn't even have those friends who were around. And it was difficult. Um so what I did, uh maybe it's the not just when I say what I did, I think it was my brain who, who was trying to protect me. Uh, just, I was trying to um, pay more attention to my schoolwork assignments, um, read like my favorite novels. Um, I think I read three or four novels during lockdown. Um, Bram Stoker's Dracula. <laughs> So you went back to your favorites, like as a comfort, is that right? Exactly. I went back to my favorites. I'm a, like a huge uh, football fan. So try to, I don't know, even sometimes do some tribal things like watching uh, very, I don't know, like Grey's Anatomy, Friends, things that actually like help you just distract you from what you're thinking about those terrible thoughts uh, yeah um, I think it was like that and uh, 
COVID, I have a lot of stories to tell you about COVID, but in, in one, like if I want to tell you something like in a nutshell, COVID um, taught me how I, like how much I miss people. Just seeing them around, seeing them. Like sometimes right now I go to a UV campus and I feel really happy seeing students moving around, talking to each other being like sitting in a library, reading something, typing something. It's, it's a great feeling. I have a photo taken, I think on March 20th or something from UVA campus. It's like a hunted place. No one's is in that big, beautiful campus that used to be crowded with the students. So March, 2020 was, um, and is a date I will never forget <laughs> it was. And I think, as you say, I mean, a couple of things for Ahad, I just would like to circle back to. And one of those things is, is just what you just said about realizing how much you miss being with people. I, I think that you, it sounds like through COVID, you adapted, right? You did what you could to cope um, with really being alone, but you realize that that's coping. It's not the same thing as feeling um, a, a sense of happiness and energy from being with people. And I certainly felt the same way, just that um, recently being back on campus with everyone again, you realize, oh, you know, I've missed this so much. It's just that when you adapt to not doing that, you sort of feel like, okay, like I can keep doing this, like this is okay. Like I can, you don't realize how, um, like the loss that is there until you're actually back in that environment again. But I, I just, you know, want to thank you for really being so honest about um, not knowing what to do. And in a moment where, you know, there's been this, this profound loss, this shattering, and just, you know, I find it so moving how you describe, you know, just sometimes you're just sitting there in your basement apartment and you're staring at the wall and you don't know what to do. Because I think that probably many students and many international students feel that and have felt that at moments. And it sounds like you, you just had to kind of move through that sense of not knowing what to do in order to get to a place where you could then turn as you did to, um, you know, to, for example, rereading re your favorite novels. I just love this, that this was like a sense of nourishment for you, right? That you went back to some of the things that have brought you joy in the past. And that that was labor that you had to do in a way to, to figure out how to make yourself be okay to get through that that time when you were away from your family and, and then COVID. Um, I just really appreciate your honesty because sometimes, and a lot of the time, actually, there isn't a clear answer, right? About what you, okay, this happens, you do this, right? Sometimes you do just need to sit and you're just staring at the wall, not knowing what to do. And it takes some time for you to know this very simple fact that there is not Sometimes there's no answer for, for, for questions. It takes a long time because our brain is, I guess, programmed in a way 
that tries to find a solution for every problem to, to, to survive, to, to protect this. But sometimes it takes some time and effort and energy to know this simple fact, but very important fact that sometimes there is no solution. And sometimes, as you say, that there a solution may come, but it's okay to sit with the difficulty, right? And so I think one of the things we try to address here on this podcast is that, you know, we don't talk enough about, you know, the very thing that you've just shared, Farhad, about, um, you know, you encounter as a student obstacles, great challenges. We know that. That is inevitable. And I think sometimes, as you've said, it or frequently you encounter an obstacle and you don't quite know what to do and that's okay. And that you can sit with it and um, you are not alone in that, that other students are experiencing that. But I think so frequently students maybe hit an obstacle and feel, well, this isn't supposed to happen. And if it does, I should know immediately how to fix it, right? That I should be able to correct, you know, course correct, uh, and get over this. And you've just shared that, well, no, that's not really how it goes. <laughs> it's that, no. you know, sometimes you're going to sit in that difficulty and in that despair or loneliness or, you know, students failing a course, for example, right. And feeling like, well, how do I fix this? Right. Like I can't, you know, recover from this, but sometimes as you're saying, you just have to actually sit with it and 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 start to sort of move through it that way yeah thanks for mentioning that because um i i just want to borrow what you said and um mention something about international students mm -hmm. i'm pretty sure whoever's that's listening to uh what we're talking about right now if their international students would, would say yes to. Um, international students, um, not all of them, but um, I'm pretty sure a lot of them because uh, I've been talking to a lot of people like in Victoria, Vancouver about these problems. International students are usually under the huge effect of three conflicting waves, I would call them. The first one is their um, like immigration status in Canada. So you are on permits when you arrive in Canada. It's your study permit that you have to deal with. Is it expired? Renew it. Is it valid enough? Then it's your, uh, uh, after you graduate, it's your postgraduate work permit, which still is another story you have to be very careful it's it can be anything from eight months to three years so am i going to get eight months is it one year is it two years is it three years and uh this is the first thing so this is the first um battle that international students are fighting is the second one is their family and their country so we we always leave as i told you the story of my grandmother and it's not just that way. It's become like since then, it's become like a, I don't know the exact term, but the closest one I can describe it with is trauma. So I've been traumatic since then because I'm thinking that this could happen to my mother as well, to my father. 
not just them, how about my sisters? How about my friends? What if they die? And what if I'm away from them when they die? So th these are all the thoughts and morbid thoughts and terrible thoughts that hunt you as an international student because you are away from your family. With the domestic students, the Canadians, or even the international students who are here with their family, this one is almost um, not there. I'm saying almost because I know everyone has their own problems, but they have their families around. They have their uh, parents around and it's kind of, you, know, you can go to them, talk to them, you can see them. But with the people who leave their families, like with the international students who leave their families behind, there's always these terrible thoughts that hunt them. And you can never, like, you don't know, it, come, it might come to you in the middle of the night. It might come to you when you're working. It might come to you when you're sitting in a classroom listening to a professor. So this is the second one. And the third one is actually their schoolwork. We, we know that UVic standards are high. And uh, I always tell my friends, I'm quoting Professor Ross, that you're here for a reason. So it's, we know about imposter syndrome. We always think, oh, maybe it was another Farhad Khan. It was the wrong email sent to me. <laughs> it's, it's not, it's like it's imposter syndrome and you're here because you have the skill set, because you had the, like the qualifications. So you, you, you have to show those, those skills in, in action as well. So you have to be a good student. So you have to work hard as well. And these three sometimes conflicting waves and uh, they, they, they just, I, I sometimes imagine myself as a person in the middle and being pushed by these uh, forces in, in even sometimes opposite directions. And they're very difficult. Um, as an international student, I would like, like, uh, if, I, if I was to just talk to someone at UVic who is actually making the policies or a university professor or something, I would definitely say next time you see a student like an international student, next time you work with an international student, uh, just, just consider these three forces uh, because they might sometimes not show them. Even I know a lot of students, international students, um, a lot of them think that if they mention these things, if they mention that, sorry, Professor Gagan, I couldn't do this because I was, all the time I was with my uh, Saudi permit renewal problem thing. Professor Gagan might think that I'm, that I don't have my like proper time management skills or, so they, they kind of think, they're kind of afraid of mentioning it. Um, but they affect them. I, I, I know that for, for sure. So I would like to just, what I'm saying is that I, I just wanted to borrow what you mentioned about these problems, different problems, and mention these things that international students are not just dealing with their schoolwork. There are things that actually out of this map, but they, but still affect them. And Farhan, I mean, first of all, I think you know, what you're sharing here about these three sort of conflicting waves or forces is just so incredibly important because often 
and I, I don't pretend to know, uh, you know, all of the supports available for international students or all of the ways in which international students are, are, are being cared for on our campus. But I do feel that very often when we're talking about the experience of international students, we're focusing on things like, like mostly related to schoolwork, right? Like to um, challenges and questions related to kind of integrating into the uh, Canadian sort of academic system, I guess. But what you've hit on, I think, is I would actually say more important than that piece, right? Which is, okay, what might be invisible to you as a professor or as a peer of, a, of, a, of an international student is what they are dealing with every day, and as you say, and sometimes in the middle of the night. And, and I actually don't think it is too strong to say that they are sort of traumatic thoughts, uh, that there is a kind of uh, trauma perhaps connected to leaving your family and, and coming here or you know, coming to a new country, that that is invisible to others, but it is part of the lived experience of an international student. And I think, for example, when your grandmother uh, passed, I was starting to understand, you know, and of course I had that thought, oh my goodness, like Farhad is here. He is so far away. He has lost his grandmother. You know, what can I do to help? But, you know, I didn't think about how that could have these sort of, um, like implications for you going forward, right? That then it's like, well, okay, this could happen again. And what if I lose someone else? And that that's always embedded in the experience of being an international student, right? And that, but also at every moment you are dealing with that, you are dealing with these uh, permit, you know, your residency issues, your permit issues, right? And you're dealing with the other piece, which I mentioned, which is adjusting to uh, the expectations, which as you shared, I think quite rightly that international students experience imposter syndrome, syndrome to a much greater extent than other students who may also experience that, but not to the same degree. So all at once, I think you've beautifully and so clearly expressed this, Farhad, that this is what you need to know, right? That please keep this in mind when you are working with, when you're teaching, when you're engaging with international students, that this is part of their context. And they, and, and in most cases, they even, um, I, would, I would say they even magnify the problem. So if you have a, let's say, give you an example, uh, if you break up, if you're in an emotional relationship and you break mm -hmm. up and you're in, in, your, in your own country, then it's very different compared to the same situation when you're an international student. Yeah. I know that uh, the, the person you're breaking up with is actually not just your partner or your, but also by extension, your family as well. So when you're in, in your own country, it's not like that. You have your friends, your families, but here emotional problems also get magnified mm -hmm. due, to the, due to the reasons that I just um, 
mentioned. So it's not just these things. There are many right. sides to these three uh, conflicting waves that I mentioned. But yeah, they're they're there, and it's like I've been talking um, from my friends from uh, other parts of Asia, and they also mention the same problems. Um, depending on culture and what country they are from, these forces might be a little bit, um, you know, looser or stronger, but um, generally speaking, they are always there for international students. And the other point for Hod that, that I don't want to lose sight of is that you said international students would tend to mask, right? That they would tend to hide yeah. more so than other students those experiences or those feelings because they would be afraid that if they shared them, they would be seen as less competent, less organized. And also, I think as you're sharing, they would be afraid to be seen as um, undeserving of being a student, uh, you know, at that particular institution. And again, I think that it is, it cannot be overemphasized how important it is to understand that that may be a key, per, like a key feeling or perspective that an international student has, because it means that they do not feel that they can present as um, as human first, right, and student second. That like they can't show themselves be, for fear that there would be consequences for doing that, right? Some kind of judgment, and I think. Um, you know, one of the things that's really a part of Uvic Balance is trying to really emphasize what it means to teach with love and that students deserve to be able to be taught with love. And part of that, a big piece of that is students feeling that they are seen by their instructors, uh, but they can't feel that, that they are seen if they obviously are afraid to show themselves because of some kind of uh, repercussion, right? So I think that you've done something really powerful here in sharing this, Farhad, because I'd be willing to wager that there are many um, listeners who, who would know some of that, but perhaps not some of those really key pieces of all of the things that an international student is, is really grappling with at any given moment. Yeah, exactly. Um, um, my own experience with professors at UVic, and even the friends that I had. Remember, when I was in Vancouver, I I think it was seven a.m. or something. I uh, got a voice message, voice message from a friend of mine, said, "I'm very worried about you. Where are you? What are you doing? <laughs> I'm not hearing from you recently. What's wrong? I know there is something wrong with you. What's the problem?" So that that's that kind of great experience mm -hmm. has helped me like a lot, or even I have professors um, at UVic that I just go to whenever I have a problem yeah. or question, and that's a great, but this is not guaranteed for other students as well. I know that there are a lot of students like internet, when I say students here, I mean international students in, in this context. Um, a lot of international students are bound up in their basements working on their thesis. And I know that they are struggling with a lot of problems 
It could be emotional problems. It could be financial problems. It could be anxiety. But yeah. because but because we kind of inherently think that the most important thing is our thesis, we don't actively pursue those concerns because mm -hmm. we think that, okay, let me get, get like, my top priority is definitely my thesis, my schoolwork, and I will deal with this anxiety or emotional problem later. Right. But they are equally important, as you said. And there can be, as, as you're sharing, a tendency, and I think a lot of students do this and perhaps international students more because there's, my understanding is that there are just additional pressures and a lot of them are financial to finish that degree, right? To get that done um, and not take longer and just, right? So, and I think a lot of students experience that financial pressure as well, that they need to complete the degree, um, but they, they perhaps, as you've shared, they put the emotional issues aside and say, well, I'll deal with that when I'm done this. When I'm saying emotional, it just doesn't mean like um, emotional, emotional. It could be anything from just put, putting some time aside to just go for a hike or. A... Yeah. Like taking care of yourself, right? Like your well-being. Right. I know yeah. a lot of international students are like, do not get funding from from university that's why they have to use their allowed 20 hour per week working time to just go and earn some extra money to be able to pay their tuitions and then their rent and things like that so they actually stop like doing some fun activities like going to a beach or just going like hanging out with friends and allocate their time to to earn some money which might not feel very bad like in two three weeks two three months but at, in the long run we know what what it can what it can do with your with your mentality that's right yeah that it's not sort of recognizing that taking care of yourself in terms of your uh you know your mental health your wellness like just as you say going for a walk doing something fun hanging out with your friends um going for you know, a nice walk or meal or anything like that, right? That you could do um, sometimes gets very much lower down the ladder in terms of what are priorities, right? Because international students, and I think a lot of students do this in general, that they prioritize um, sometimes out of necessity, right? Like the, you know, their schoolwork and then work you know, to, to pay for their schooling, right? So, I mean, I, I think most students I know these days work. I, I, I don't think that I know any student that does not work in some way um, to be able to fund their education. And we know that the costs are just, um, even for non-international students, you know, housing, everything is just increasing, making it very difficult for students. Um, but I know that we're talking here in particular about international students who may feel those pressure, pressures to a greater extent and therefore may prioritize schoolwork and work and, and not addressing or, or dealing with, you know, that, the other parts of themselves that need care. Yeah, exactly. So Farhad, you know, I asked this to everyone at the end of um, our end of the uh, podcast uh, conversation. I, I always ask, um, 
what would you say to an international student who, or any student who was just starting their journey uh, through university? And it could be their undergrad or their grad. I mean, I know we've been talking a lot about your grad experience, but um, you know, what do you think you would you would share if you had to offer some advice or just words of wisdom? <laughs> I would definitely offer my own uh, experience because I'm. Uh, I usually seek advice from other people, but I'm not very good at providing people with advice. <laughs> I can share them my own experience. Um, I can definitely say before arriving in Canada, and um, I would like to go back to to the motto for this podcast, which is waving, not drowning. Before before uh, moving in Canada and just uh, knowing about the culture of quote unquote, it's it's okay to make mistakes. I used to think that it's not okay to make. I should I should never make any mistake because I want to be the best and the best never make mistakes. They are always number one and on top. But on and on, I learned that making mistake is a part of being human being. I think uh, I've made a lot of mistakes, a lot of mistakes since 2019 that I can't even, um, I mean, like <laughs> they're, they're very, I don't know how to describe it, but really mistakes that everyone should avoid and I wanted to avoid, but I nevertheless, I was in the middle of that mistake. I, I made that mistake because I was a human being. Well, in 2019, maybe I, I don't know, I just, I became angry with myself, just, you know, um, punished myself one way or another for making those mistakes but right now I know that you you can't learn from your mistakes if your mistakes are not there I'm not saying that don't evaluate anything and do whatever you want no I'm just saying that making mistakes is a part of the process of growing up and it's okay to make mistakes my biggest mistake my biggest recent mistake was actually being too hasty maybe in deciding to move in a big move from Victoria to Vancouver on the promise on a verbal promise that was that was the loose end I shouldn't have done that uh, but at that specific moment that was the right decision so it's easy always it's always easy at the end of a process to sit down and say oh I shouldn't have done that when you're doing, when you're making that, like when you're deciding at the moment of the decision, that, that specific decision looks, looks very bright and very true. That, that's one thing that I wanted to mention. The other thing that I definitely want to talk about very briefly is the therapeutic effect of writing down, just, just write down whatever. You don't need to be Shakespeare. Just write down your thoughts, write down what you like, how you feel about that specific day when you met that specific person, when you decided that specific 
course of action when you bought that specific item. And then you can go back later and evaluate your thoughts and see how you've grown up, how you've changed. It's not, well, grown up always means something positive, I guess. How you've changed, not necessarily grown up. Sometimes, uh, well, I go back to my notes like one year into my arrival in Canada and I see I was almost, um, I'm almost a totally different person. So I used to like things that I don't like right now. And I like things that I didn't used to like when yeah. I was <laughs> uh, like fresh in Canada. So it's always, um, and when I was in Vancouver, there were days that I just rushed home to sit down and write my terrible feeling that day. And it really helped. So I would definitely, I would definitely recommend that everyone regarding of their um, feeling. If you're feeling happy, just write it down. If you're feeling sad, write it down. It's going to help you later. It's like a, like a bank of information that you can go back later and see how you're feeling. Write down your decisions and evaluate them later. It's going to be therapeutic. It's going to be helpful, definitely. And Farhad, you said that just even you know very recently like this in the vancouver journey as you called it you have yeah. writing a lot to try to help you uh, move through that really difficult time yeah exactly i mean writing even the frequency of when i go back i was actually looking at my um holy notebook as i call it <laughs> last night and i was just i, I just realized that um when I was in Vancouver, I, because I always put a date on the pages, I realized that I've been doing this writing thing almost every day, almost every day, and sometimes even twice, three times a day, because I felt like I was feeling that need to kind of put down this burden on my mind or off my shoulder or whatever. So I was, I was under huge pressure and I think I'm not saying I saved myself by writing mainly or only, but writing was a huge part of it. It might not be for everyone, but I think if you if if, if you feel that there is something that helps you out of a situation that you are in and in an undesirable situation, go for it. Do it. It's not always um, Googling things, how to be happy how to just you know be out of a terrible relationship or things like that it's sometimes you you can be your best advisor to yourself you can be your best advisor and i just what a beautiful thought for hod to sort of end our conversation i just i just want to really thank you for being so just honest, like honest about your mistakes, even the most recent one, which you feel, you know, <laughs> moving to Vancouver without, you know, maybe too hastily. Um, and just being able to really, you know, and we can call them mis mistakes, but also I think we can think of them as um, learning curves, maybe, learning, right? you know, learning moments or things, you know, I've always really loved the idea that life is a draft 
right? And that there's a way in which it can be in revision so that we don't necessarily see the mistakes as mistakes. We see them as these um, possibilities for change or for revision. And I, I think as a writer, um, that speaks really powerfully to me and it probably does to you as well. And what you're saying is, well, you don't know what you don't know, but when, exactly. <laughs> when you're writing things down as well, you can sort of look at you know how you were feeling and and I just love this idea of you can be your own advisor right by having that record and sort of therapeutically sharing that and and also I think what you've done here Farhad is that you've you've talked so openly about these very human experiences of loss of making mistakes and also of being afraid to share that, right? That there is that huge piece of not wanting to show yourself to others. And I think, you know, I just, I really admire you because you are already at a place where you are just like willing to show up and say, well, this is who I am. And these are the, we'll call them mistakes I have made, or um, this is how I was feeling. And just like, here I am. And I, I think that what we all want is to be able to show up like that and be accepted, right? And to feel like that's okay, right? who you are in all of your messiness and your mistakes and your grief and all of these things are okay, right? And what you've shared, Farhad, is that as an international student, in particular, this is what is needed, right? To be able to maybe lighten some of that burden and some of that pressure of feeling like you can't make mistakes, you must be perfect. You know, all of this stuff you're carrying isn't okay to show. Because at the end, it's okay to make mistakes because at the end, you're not just your own mistakes. You also have a lot of positive qualifications. And just, I, I would definitely recommend that, not just recommend, but I'm, I'm also telling myself that there has been a point when I was in Vancouver, I got rejected by a few employers and I and I started to doubt even my own skills, my own education. But after a while, when I got um, job offers that I even rejected because I thought, okay, this is not my job. I started to feel that, oh no, this, th I was wrong. So I, I made mistakes. Yes, I got rejected. That's correct. But I still have qualifications that are interesting for a lot of employers. Hmm. Interesting or a lot of professors. So at some point you start to doubt yourself, but that will go away. I'll guarantee you. It comes back though. <laughs> it comes back. It comes back. It never goes away permanently. It might go away and then it might come back and go away, come back. Exactly. The important thing is that um, you never doubt your own inherent capabilities. Right. Because yeah. you, you are you are capable. That's why you're at UVic. That, that's why you're working with professors such and such. So these are these are the basic qualifications that you should believe in, but there's always room for improvement or development. You should never rest thinking that you're the best in the world, but um, 
I would definitely say um, you should love yourself. Definitely, you should be easy on yourself. Yeah. And, and I think that's certainly for Hot a big takeaway from our, our conversation today is that it's about giving yourself grace and space to make mistakes. And that, and part of that is is um, putting yourself first in lots of ways to say, okay, I know there's all of this other stuff going on, but there's room here for me in all of this. And there's room for me to make mistakes and for change and growth and all of those things. So, well, Farhat, it has really been just such a pleasure to um, uh, talk with you and to uh, see you, oh, you know, since it's been so long since, uh, even though it's not in person, but still seeing you over Zoom is better than nothing. And um, just, I just really want to thank you so much for sharing your story with us. Thank you. And it was uh, definitely an honor both to talk to you and see you and also be on this great podcast. As I said at the beginning, I'm a huge fan. I um, listen to, like, I think I've listened to most of the episodes and I know most of the people you've, you've talked to either through my direct, like they've been my professors or through your podcast. So I'm very glad to be here. And I really hope that these words that I said today can help, even if they can help one person, I, I will be very glad. So, Well, I am confident that they will help many for Hod. So thank you so much and good luck in the new job. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. You can keep listening to episodes of Waving, Not Drowning on Anchor FM, Spotify, or wherever you stream your podcasts. We'd love it if you would give us a like and a follow on Instagram at UVicBounce. Tune in next week for another great conversation. Until then, be well.